again here on my front porch, and uh, we're going to be back in Amos again today. Amos chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 7. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Amos chapter 6, and we're going to get started in just a moment. Um, as you're turning there, I want to kind of introduce today's uh, message to you and tell you what we're going to talk about, what we're going to discover today in God's Word, and that is the things that uh, God requires of leaders. Um, you know, we can, we can learn things about God's character. We can learn things about uh, His people. Um, we can learn things about the way that God interacts with His people, uh, even back in the Old Testament time where He was dealing with Israel and their leaders. And then also uh, today as we can look at uh, and, and understand how God has designed leadership uh, in the home, in the Christian home, but then also in the church. Uh, when God, um, you know, establishes leadership in the church in the, in the New Testament, we have elders, uh, we have evangelists, pastors, shepherds, uh, all those that you see there in, in, in the book of Ephesians and other places. But, but the, the requirements and, and, uh, and really the, the attitudes among leadership and the posture that we have as leaders is really the same because it's the same God as the Old Testament as the New Testament. And so we're going to see today uh, some of the failures of Israel's leadership during this time, but then, but then also, and, and Israel as a leading nation as well. We don't need to forget that, that when God talks about leadership uh, in, in the Old Testament, it's, first of all, he set apart for himself a nation in Israel, and, and he wanted them to be a light to the nations, and, and they were to reflect his holiness and his redemptive plan to the rest of the world. And so... In a sense, they as a community and as a people group were leaders in the world. And, and, and uh, so he wanted them leading as a group. But then also within that group, uh, he would uh, allow them to appoint uh, leaders. And then he would also appoint leaders with them. He would send prophets to deliver his word. And they would have kings and they would have priests. And they would have different people that led in different ways. And um, so you kind of have leadership on, on, on a scale, uh, a large scale. And also on a small scale, and I think the same thing is true today for the church. That God has called us as, as a church, as a Christian church, to, uh, to be an example, to be ambassadors, as the word says in the New Testament, um, to uh, to lead uh, the world um, in reflecting who God is uh, to the world. But then also within the church, He's given us individual leaders. He's given us groups of leaders within the church as well. And so, His His principles or or expectations of leadership uh, go from one to the other. We're going to notice that again today also. So Amos chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Calna and look, and go to, the ha to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity? And would you bring near the seat of violence? Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine and sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the exile. And the sprawlers banqueting will pass away. 
I think that today's message is really important for leaders. And I think that some of the things that we see, uh, some of the failures that we see during this time within Israel and their leaders uh, are very applicable for us today. And so today, really, the, the message is about leadership. What does God expect for his leaders? What does he want us to do as leaders? I think the first thing that we notice is that God wants leaders in his church, just like he did in Israel during this time, and just like he does uh, as Israel as a nation. He wants leaders to be out in front of the people, not on top of the people, not above the people. So instead of this hierarchical model of leadership where you have kind of a, a trickle-down you know, type of leadership from the top where you have leaders who, who lead others and lead others and everything kind of you know, flows that way. Leaders are not supposed to be at the top. They're supposed to be out in front. And so we should think of leadership more as, as if we're to be out in, the, in front of the people that we're leading. Notice what he says here. Some of the words that you pick up from this passage. Uh, this idea of reclining and sprawling, <laughs> this idea of ease and security and comfort, these are themes that we've seen already in this book. And, and a couple weeks ago, we did kind of a flyby of the book of, of Amos and picked up on some major themes and some major words. And this is one that keeps coming back up all the time, is that the leaders during this time in Israel, they were super comfortable. Uh, they thought that their leadership um, was really the fruit of their hard work. They had earned these positions of leadership. They worked hard to get there. And now they're in a place of comfort. You know, they, they work their way to the top. Now they can kick back and relax. You know, put their feet up on the desk, relax a little bit. And uh, God says, for my people, in the way that I do things, that's never, that's never to be the goal of leadership. Uh, the goal of leadership is not to be at the top, it's to be out in front. And so he says, look, there are people, there are those who are, uh, he calls distinguished men of the foremost nations. I, that's, that's really why this is about leadership. Because his message is to those leaders, and he's talking about, look, this is a problem. God has given you this ambassadorship. He's given you this opportunity to represent him. So he's given you wealth. He's given you power. He's given you position. He's given you a, a place of influence. And, and what you've done is you've taken that and you've leveraged it against the people rather than to serve the people and to lead the people. So he says that these leaders are at ease in Zion. Uh, they feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. So you have two different locations. You have Jerusalem in Judah, and then you also have Israel in the north. God is saying in both of these kingdoms, the leaders have gotten comfortable. They've gotten comfortable, and they've used their leadership uh, to leverage power over those who are poor and those who are needy. And again, and, and I say it almost every week, there's kind of a class distinction that's being created here where you have the, the powerful who've used their position and their authority to cause a separation between them and the poor. And so they're, they're living very securely uh, in their palaces and their castles. And he says to them, they're distinguished. Not only, not only uh, were the leaders in Israel and Judah distinguished um, and, and very royal, um, but also the nation Israel had been, was very distinguished at this time. During the, 
750s BC, Israel uh, and Judah were very well known. Um, this was not a good time for Egypt. Egypt was not having its, its best days during this time. Uh, they were weak militarily. Uh, economically, they were not very well off. Uh, some of Judah and Israel's immediate neighbors, um, especially the Philistines, uh, were not doing well. Really, if you look at the area during this time, it's very well known that Israel and Judah were, were very powerful and very well off. And so uh, people considered Judah and Israel distinguished. Uh, they were distinguished nations, and they had distinguished leaders that everyone knew about. And so God is confronting that, that leadership. He's saying, listen, uh, you are distinguished in the eyes of the nations. And within Israel and Judah, these particular leaders are distinguished among the people. Uh, they, they have a place of position and of influence. He says in verse 1, at the very end of verse 1, he says, "This is you're distinguished in such a way that other nations come to you to get wisdom and advice. And then all of Israel goes to the, the royal kings, uh, you know, and those who are in power, uh, they flock to those leaders. Um, they flock to them for, for guidance and for influence and, and for leadership. However, they, they use their leadership, the leaders of Israel, as a place to leverage power over the weak. The second thing that we notice from the passage is that God, um, God designs, God wants his leaders uh, to see people as primary. People are primary. And, and, you know, we talk about that, and I think a lot of churches talk about that, you know, that the ministry is about people. Uh, but really you can tell uh, whether the ministry of a church and the leadership of a church is about people by the things that we say and the things that we do. And so it's always a challenge for us to, to make sure that, uh, that our ministry and, and what we do as a church is, about, is really about souls. Um, it's not about temporal things, temporal comforts, or, or you know, trying, to, trying to make it you know, as a church, whatever that means, um, you know, uh, to a place of comfort and stability and, and things like that. We're, we should always be uh, a church that's about people. And so God wants his leaders, and we see it again here all the way back in the Old Testament, that God desires for his leaders uh, to see people as primary, not secondary to some other goal, but that God's people are his most precious possession. Um, and, and that's what he really cares about. So he wants his leaders to, to see people as primary, not as a means to an end. And, and unfortunately, uh, leaders can, can get to that place where they start to see people as a means to their end. And so this is what happened in Israel. In verse 2, he says, uh, go over to Kalna and look. Go from there to Hamath the Great. Go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? So what God does is he draws this comparison. And he, and he wants the leaders in Israel, and he wants Israel to see. He says, I want you to look around at your neighbors. These that used to be so powerful. And they had these great leaders. I, I mean, these leaders would, would have names that, that, that Israel knew. I mean, they had been, um, you know... Uh, Put in history. I mean, kids would would never forget the names of people like Goliath the Great. You know, who who could forget Goliath? You know, um, yeah, David David slew him, but man, he 
His name will live in infamy after that. God is saying, remember all these nations around you, and there are great leaders that I've brought down from their prideful positions. Remember the way that they used to tyrannically lead their people and how they would take advantage of the leadership position that I gave them. And they, they ruined their people. Remember that. Remember what's happened around you because um, I, I, will, I will discipline you. I will make sure that, that you are following me and that you're receptive to my word. And so he's asked them in verse 3, he asked the leaders, do you put off the day of calamity? Are you, are you putting something off by ignoring godly leadership, by not leading my people the way that I've designed for you to? Are you putting off a day of judgment for the people? Uh, he says, would you bring near the seat of violence? I think it's interesting the way that the, the interplay of words here, because I think, that, I think that he's doing this kind of in a poetic way. Um, he talks to the leaders as if they're constantly lounging. He calls them sprawlers, <laughs> right? They're just constantly lounging around. You know, the, it's, it's, it's the lazy boy leader, you know. Um, they're constantly laying down, and, and they're comfortable, and, you know, they're, they're not doers. I, I mean, they just aren't. They, they've reached this place where they've just manipulated, they just pulled these strings of leadership, and they really don't have to lift a finger anymore to do very much. They can just kind of snap their fingers and things happen. And they can do it from a place of comfort. And so this theme of sitting down and doing nothing and sprawling out, you know, like at a banquet uh, and just feasting upon, you know, the excesses of, of leadership. He asks him this question in verse 3, and I don't think it's for, for no reason that he does this. Would you bring near the seat of violence? Would you bring near the seat of violence? He's saying in all of your lounging, in all of your... You're leveraging of your leadership over the people so that you can be comfortable. What you've done is you're actually bringing violence to the people God has led you or given you to, to lead and to serve. Um, this is a very insidious thing that I think leaders fall into. Um, is we, we sometimes tend to think that, that God has given us uh, people to lead for our own advancement. Um, and we can become tyrants that way. Um, you know, it's also interesting to me, and I want you to think about this, when we think about um, why in the world would God be confronting the leaders? I mean, is this not what leadership is supposed to look like? I mean, don't leaders start at the bottom and then work really hard and get themselves up to the next level and the next level and the next level so as to live a life of comfort and power and prosperity. Isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what God wanted for Israel? I mean, when he led them out of captivity in Egypt and they had nothing and then he had to feed them in the desert with manna because they literally had, I mean, they had nothing to their name. And, and they wander around for 40 years. He brings them into the promised land, right? And he gives them this inheritance. He gives them these cities that have walls that the people didn't build, wells that they didn't even have to dig for themselves, vineyards that they never planted. He brings them into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. And they, they, they go in there and they, they own it. It's theirs. 
isn't that the way of prosperity? Where you start with nothing and you build your way up and God blesses you and in the end you go, man, God has been good. He's prospered us. He's blessed us. I mean, why would God not want Israel's leaders and Israel to be distinguished this way among the nations? I mean, because he's, he's saying to them, you have become distinguished among the nations and your leaders are distinguished among leaders. But yet in, in three decades, I'm going to lead you people, I'm going to lead you out of this place into captivity. Like, why would God do that? Is, is this not the whole purpose? Is this not what God had promised? I'm, I'm promising you this prosperity. I mean, they were successful. They were comfortable. They were accomplished. They were renowned. They were influential. They were fortified. I mean, how many years does it take to build all this and, and build this wall around you to protect your people and to fortify your cities and to gain this reputation? I mean, this is everything that Israel ever wanted and that her leaders ever wanted. I mean, they've made it, right? This is what it means to make it. Israel had made it. And then certain people within Israel, certain families, had made it. They had accomplished significant places of leadership. Isn't prosperity what God wants for his people? Why in the world would God allow his people to prosper in this way and then lead them into captivity just one generation later? How does that make any sense? See, God, God doesn't need all of these things. And, and God's plan for his people is, is not that we would be self-sufficient, self-sustaining, comfortable, influential. God doesn't need us to influence the nations for him. He wants us to influence the nations. He, uh, he wants to influence the nations through us. He doesn't need us for it. He doesn't need our leadership. He doesn't need um, us to be prosperous so that his mission can be accomplished. Israel found themselves in a place where they could leverage power and, and position and influence over all the nations. And God says, I don't need you for that. I can do all that. Look at what I did with you. I brought you through the wilderness. You had nothing. I created you. I made you who you are today. I gave your leaders these places of position and influence. And so God wants us to see people as primary uh, rather than a means to our end. Um, the third thing, um, God wants his leaders to lead humbly uh, under the Lord's authority and sovereignty. He wants us to lead humbly through uh, his power. And so we see here in verse 4, those who recline on beds of ivory, sprawl on their couches, eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall. And then verse 5, he says this about them, who improvise to the sound of the harp, uh, like David, have composed songs for themselves. Notice he interweaves again that theme of worship. It's interwoven throughout this book because the people were not only uh, powerful, uh, well-to-do, uh, you know, prosperous, influential, but the people had reached a point where they were experts in external worship. They were experts. They loved to worship. In such a way, he says, you're not only comfortable, he says, but you're to the place to where you just improvise songs. And when it comes to worship, you, you can just make stuff up. I mean, you've gotten really good at this. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but this kind of sounds familiar. Uh, we have become uh, very, uh, very talented today <laughs> in the church in creating uh, styles of worship and forms of, you know, different songs and things like that. He says, man, you, you guys improvise to the sound of a harp. You got this down. Verse 6, he says, Who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils? He said, you know, you have, you have kind of puffed up yourself. You're anointing yourself with oil. Uh, you're drinking from uh, sacrificial bowls. <laughs> you're drinking from sacrificial bowls. And then he says, and this is the problem. You've done all of this stuff. You have, you have lived extravagantly. Uh, you've worshipped, quote-unquote, to the fullest. But here's the problem. He says, yet you have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. He indicts the people. He, he gives this indictment for the leaders. You've enjoyed all the spoils of war. Uh, you, you are uh, worshippers, great worshippers, externally, with your words with your songs, with your music. But here's the problem, leaders, great distinguished men of a distinguished nation, you have not grieved over the ruin of your own people. While the people are wandering away from God, while the people are being ruined, while the poor are being disenfranchised and the powerless are being pushed out of the city, you're not grieving. Your place of position and your comfort and everything else that comes with that has taken precedence over the people. Now, this should never be the case for God's leaders. It should never be the case for leaders uh, in Israel during this time. It wasn't his design then. It's not his design now. He doesn't want leaders in, this, in his church, uh, in any church, um, to fall into uh, this type of of sin, of seeing people as a means to an end, of not grieving over what's going on for the people because, or with the people because of all of the comforts of leadership and all the things that we attribute to prosperity. Um, this is God's design for his leaders. These are just a few things. Three things that the Lord requires for his leaders. To be out in front, not on top. To see people as primary, not secondary, or means to an end, or stepping stones something. And then finally, to lead humbly under the Lord's authority and under his sovereignty. We notice in verse 7, I'm going to finally close with this. He says, therefore, this is the, this is the so what. What's going to happen because of this poor leadership? Um, this is what God says, verse 7. Therefore, they will now, that is the leaders, go into exile at the head of the exiles. Again, you see the poetic nature of this? He's addressing leaders who he says are, in verse 1, distinguished men of the foremost nations. You were the, you were the people at the top of the nations who were at the top. You're the leaders. You're the leaders of the leading nation. But because of the way that you've led, because you have not led the way that I've designed, uh, not long from now, um, not just the people, but all of you, even those in power, are going to be led into captivity. 
And, and on that road to exile, you're going to be at the head of the pack. You're going to be at the front. Because you're distinguished. You're the leaders. And what a poetic thing for them to hear that word and then to see it later on when it actually happened because they refused to repent. Um, you're going to lead in one way or the other, I think is what God is saying. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Because God, in his mercy and his grace, he calls leaders to repentance. He calls head of households to repentance. He calls a Christian leaders in the church to repentance. And he says to Israel during this time, 30 years before they actually go into exile, he gives them warning. And he says, look, this is my design. Here's my word. This is the way I want you to lead. Turn. Change. You can do that. Change the way you lead. Stop leading in a worldly way and stop leading my, start leading my way. I hope this encourages you and challenges you today, whether you're a leader, whether you're not a leader, member of the church, uh, that you would uh, take God's word today and let it go deep into your heart and your mind, produce the fruit uh, that he wants to produce in you, and that we would hold our leaders accountable, that we would look to leadership uh, to lead us in that way, that we would support and pray for our leaders as well, knowing that God has a design. He has a design for those people he's called to lead us. Uh, I pray that, uh, that you would take God's word today and, uh, and apply it to your life uh, in some way. And if you're listening or watching today and, and you don't know the Lord, as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know Christ, um, would you confess your sin to him and invite him to come into your life and call upon the name of the Lord? The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We invite you to do that today. We invite you this week again to get into God's word, to stay in his word, to pray, to seek his face, and he will lead you in all truth. We love you. We thank you guys for tuning in today. Have a great week.